Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us today for the podcast. My name is Michael Peters. I'm the pharmacy business manager at Eskenazi Health in Indianapolis, Indiana. And I'm also a recent graduate of a combined PGY-1-2 HSPA residency at Methodist Labonner Healthcare in Memphis, Tennessee. And I will be serving as your host for today's podcast. With me today are Nathan Hansen and Amber Lucas. Nathan Hansen is the Division Director of Pharmacy Operations for the HCA Healthcare Mid-America Division. And Amber Lucas is the Pharmacy Operations Manager and Obstetric Neonatal Specialist for Olathe Medical Center in Kansas City. Thank you for joining us today, Nathan and Amber. Today, we will be discussing purposeful career growth using the FASHP criteria to lead your CPD. The first question and topic for today's discussion involves overall professional growth. So I, like many pharmacists, place a great amount of stress and importance on continuing to adapt, evolve, and grow to best serve both our patients as well as our profession. A method to do this is to have a professional development plan to meet these needs. As a younger practitioner earlier in my career, there have always been really defined steps to get where I am today, beginning with undergraduate studies, then pharmacy school didactic courses, transitioning to experiential education and rotations, moving to residency, and then finally getting a job. A pretty relatively clear and defined path. However, now that I'm in my full-time adult or real job, as I like to call it, I find myself asking, what comes next? I've worked very hard to get where I am today, but does that mean I just sort of ride out the next 30 to 40 years in this role and retire? How do I continue to remain engaged, involved, and fulfilled in my career? Nathan and Amber, being a little more removed from residency, how were you feeling when you were in my shoes? Recently set in a full-time role with the, quote, formal training having been completed. Yeah, Michael, that's such a great question. I can really relate to that. And you finished this really regimented process, and then all of a sudden you're, you're here and there's kind of no curriculum, there's no plan. And so I find that in the first several years of your career, you're, you're devoted to building those relationships at your new facility and building competency. And no matter how well prepared you are, there will be a pretty steep learning curve. But then after a, about three to five years, most people will feel like they are fairly competent and that they know enough people that they can get the work done. And that's really where it's important to be more purposeful in your professional development plan or your continuing professional development plan. At this point, you probably will be able to devote a little more of your time to this career development, but the question is, where do you start? And so depending on what role you're in, ASHP has a couple really helpful resources. The first is the residency preceptor criteria. This is a document that you can find online and it lays out a roadmap for how a frontline pharmacist can continue to 
improve and to elevate their game. We're not going to go into detail about it on this podcast, but it's a good option if you're a practitioner who's interested in moving into a leadership role at some point. And we'll be sure to put a link to that document in the show notes. If you're already a leader in your organization, ASHP has an outstanding roadmap that you can use to keep your professional activities moving in a purposeful direction. And this curriculum or this roadmap is what we're here to talk about today. It's the FASHP application criteria. Thanks for that, Nathan. Definitely a lot to think about and some really helpful tips and tricks that you shared there. So as I think about being a student, then a resident, and even as a early pharmacy manager, I do find myself noticing often in credentials, whether it be in literature, speaker appointments, or in email signatures, I did notice those five letters, F-A-S-H-P, pretty often. My interpretation of that designation has pretty much always been that whoever this person is, they must have a pretty established career and must have done some great things. This person must be significant. Thinking back on that, I don't imagine that is necessarily wrong, but there has to be more to it than just that. Nathan and Amber, can you unpack this a little further? What is FASHP? And why should I care if somebody has these credentials? Well, Michael, you actually are correct in your interpretation, but there is so much more to it than that. Let's see, FASHP is really a recognition that is awarded by the ASHP Board of Directors, and it's intended to convey a brand of excellence to individual practitioner pharmacists that have contributed to the profession in really meaningful ways. So this program began back in 1988 with the first class that was awarded fellow recognition. And this year, 27 more individuals were added to that number. And we we literally just hit 1,000 fellow recognized pharmacists in uh, the country with FASHP recognition. So that was pretty exciting to hit that 1,000 mark out of all of the applicants and members so far. There is a pretty rigorous application process, and it involves specific detailed criteria of excellence, which we'll talk about a little bit later. But it really prepares and paints a pretty tangible picture of what really great contributions to the profession and the patients we serve looks like. These criteria are built to emphasize a high level of quality contributions and an overall balance in the criteria needs to be covered with sustained practice excellence in health system pharmacy. It also includes the level of contributions to the literature, such as publications, how we educate others, including our patients and our students and other learners, the public, um, each other, as well as active engagement and leadership in ASHP for more than 10 years. This application process is like applying for almost like a scholarship or some other type of award. And it really is putting together a pretty detailed picture of of what you've contributed in all the different categories of criteria, as well as your CV. But it's incredibly comprehensive. And, you know, there is a selection committee that reviews your application. So it's an opportunity for you to really highlight what you've done for the profession, what you've done for patients, and what your contributions have been. I feel I know so much more about what FASHP really is and what that really means now. 
much beyond what I had somewhat thought before, although it wasn't necessarily incorrect. A lot more details go into that. Thinking about what you just described and really your own plans, my next question really becomes, how are you able to link this application process for FASHP with your own personal CPD plans? When I was earlier in my career, I basically took advantage of every cool opportunity that came my way. That was my strategy. I was trying to figure things out. I was trying to understand what I liked and what I was good at. So I knew that I could learn a lot from each one. And I knew that every connection that I made could be important down the road. But as I've gotten further along in my career, I've found that there's some other things to consider. Uh, and, And you may too. For one thing, you may find that there are more opportunities available to you then you have time to complete, at least with excellence. You just don't have time to do it all. Another issue is that it's really easy to get stale or to get bored. You reach a plateau where you're, you're good at certain things, and then there's a tendency to avoid other things. And it's hard to have the energy to tackle something that's outside of your comfort zone. Or it could be that you just have a blind spot and you don't realize that there's a gap in your professional development. And for all these reasons, the FASHP criteria was really helpful for me. I had found out about the FASHP selection process, and so I pulled the criteria into a document, and I read through it, reviewed it closely, and then I used it as a self-assessment to objectively measure my professional development so far. I could immediately see that out of the four headings, which we'll get into later, there were two where I felt solid. I felt like I have done a lot of things in these areas, and I'm really happy with my progress. And I found that there were two areas or two criteria where I really wasn't solid and really hadn't done very much. And so this helped me to know which areas of my career to prioritize so that I could be more well-rounded and which areas that I could de-emphasize. Nathan, you bring up a lot of really good points. Uh, This is something that I used for myself and continue to use for myself as well as others' development. I did serve and serve on and chair the FASHP Recognition Committee a few years ago and over the course of my three-year term reviewed more than 100 applications. I was also part of the team at the time that revised the criteria a few years ago to be more specific related to expectations of those that were applying for this recognition. I I believe the criteria have been revised again since. Uh, So there's ongoing improvements that are always being made. But these experiences gave me a pretty strong insight into what sustained career development looked like. So I was asked to work with the leadership team at a prominent health system a few years ago, which involved meeting with each person individually after reviewing their CV. And much like Nathan, we mapped out our goals to close gaps in what the FASHP criteria looked like that those different individuals hadn't pursued yet. So this work and the successful outcomes of how these, these different leaders prepared their ongoing development plan were presented at an ASHP mid-year meeting, and then published in AJHP in 2016. Thank you both so much for sharing that information. Two things that really resonated that you all highlighted were time as well as expectation. When I think about my role with my current job, 
time is very tight and expectations are very high, leading me to feel very busy, very, very busy. And I know that is a self-perception that many individuals have in the profession. There's always more to do than there's time for. It's very common and easy to end up working more than 40 hours or what would be a full-time work week just to complete the tasks that are at hand to really meet the needs for my patients as well as my organization. I don't think anybody I've heard, especially a pharmacy leader, has expressed any sense of boredom or lack of things to do for their job. My question for you both now is, how and where do you find the time to work on the CPD um, for your roles without simply working additional long hours and potentially contributing towards a negative work-life balance? Well, that's a great question because I can't say that there is always very good balance when you are actively pursuing different aspects of your life uh, more so than others. So it's not so much a balance as it is understanding that you will provide more of yourself in in positive ways to the profession or to the other areas of your life outside of pharmacy uh, when you feel that you are getting you know, good return satisfaction and reward in that as well. So unfortunately, that never changes. And there's always going to be more work that can be done for the profession. And there's always going to be people that will be ready to, to get your time, especially if you're volunteering or if you're writing or if you're presenting. But I, you know, in I've got three kids and a busy life like everybody else. I was able to push through that busyness and achieve my fellow recognition by really utilizing the work experiences that I already had, as well as my own passion for the profession, professional organization engagement that ultimately was driving my career forward and providing a lot of reward and satisfaction you know, in my in my own role and responsibilities with my job, as well as the interactions and the networking that was occurring in my in, in my involvement with the professional organizations, both at the local, state, and national level. So the rest of it all, and that that work and those opportunities to present and to publish, uh, to be recognized for what I knew, all evolved with it. So we do important work every day. Most of us precept students and residents. We all give back to our communities. We serve ASHP and our state affiliates. And we, again, try to do this with other outside interests and our families all needing our time. So what I would recommend is just don't necessarily try to do a whole lot extra to check the box. Yes, we're using this criteria sort of like a checklist, but it isn't as much as checking the box just to get the recognition. It's doing stuff you're passionate about that you feel connected to, sharing those experiences with others and then presenting them or writing about them or mentoring others with that knowledge and what you've been doing. Amber, really well said. And I agree 100%. You don't want to make this just another to-do on your never-ending list. That, that isn't helpful at all. And you mentioned passion and you mentioned integration. And I think that's the key to it uh, is that you're, you're figuring out how to integrate all of these things together into your job and into the things that you're doing already. And so that's, that's really the key to, to making this successful and not just leading to burnout. And, and again, it's why the criteria is so helpful because it can help you to narrow down 
to the one or two things that you need to be working on right now in this season. And it can help you to have that laser focus that can lead to the most beneficial use of your scarce time. And so I think that's really key. Uh, You know, work-life balance and integration is a whole nother podcast, but I think that using this criteria to lead and guide your continuing professional development plan is a really important way that you can have better work-life balance or work-life integration. So uh, going along with that, I find that if I'm energized at work, it, it allows me to get more done in a shorter amount of time. It's almost like magic. Uh, it also, the more engaged I am, the more creative I am. And so sometimes I can uh, accomplish tasks or solve problems more quickly if I'm excited about it. Uh, having the criteria as a roadmap allows me to see challenges at work as potential evidence that I'm meeting the FASHP criteria. And so just as a more tangible example, instead of seeing my IV workflow software implementation as a problem that I have to solve, I can instead choose, change my mindset and choose to implement it with excellence. And then that can become an example of one of the FASHP criteria. And, and again, if you're talking to your students, if you're delegating, if you're mentoring, if you're teaching, if you're collecting data and publishing, like you mentioned, that's really the best way to, to do a great job at, at your work and to enjoy it. And so I think that, that this is all really crucial to, to leading a career that is meaningful and, and also energizing at the same time. It's getting that double or triple duty out of the same project. I think a couple more things I would add are the idea of seasons. There are different seasons in your life. There are different seasons in your career. And so maybe when your kids are really young and demanding a lot of your attention and time, that that isn't a good time to really dig into some of these higher level activities. Maybe that's where you're building a foundation. Um, And then there's a season later where you do have a little more time, a little more flexibility, uh, either because of your family life or because of your job role, where you can build on that foundation and really make a lot of progress in a short amount of time. I also want to caution you to, to not do any of this without your supervisor's input and blessing. You want to make sure that you're not doing this aside from or in spite of your job, and you want this to actually be influencing and improving your work at your job for which you are being paid. I think that's an important thing. And you'll find that your supervisor can be your biggest support, your biggest cheerleader, as long as they know that this is not sacrificing your your daily work and the patients that you serve. Uh, that is actually enhancing your ability to provide excellent care to those patients. Thank you both for sharing all that great information. As as you both were speaking about those items, it was a good chance for me to reflect. I hope some of our listeners could reflect on really that balance and thinking about both personal and professional lives and how to make sure everything is in alignment and what you are hoping to achieve in both areas. It sounds like through these, I'm starting to make connections and draw some conclusions about how this really could serve as a great roadmap for 
throughout that continued growth, looking at the criteria for FASHP to help decide kind of what activities would be best to tackle. We've mentioned the criteria a couple times, but would you all mind going through some of the criteria specifics? Sure, uh, Michael. So there are four primary criteria in the FASHP application. We'll go through each one briefly, just to give everyone a just a sample of what to be thinking about as they have aspects in their career that could be applicable. So the first criterion is a demonstration of sustained commitment or contributions to excellence in pharmacy practice in acute and ambulatory care settings. So of course we all have jobs and we show up to them on a daily basis. But you know, similar, very, very similar to what Nathan already described. Uh, you know, this is us looking to set ourselves um, with a high bar and not just do the bare minimum in our work. So if you look at your daily routine and look at your CV through a lens, it will help you focus in on what you've done as a, as a pharmacist in the profession and how you can continue to grow. So, you know, it's not okay to just do the bare minimum and do the, the, the work for the sake of just doing the work. It's what are you contributing that improves patient care, that improves the profession and what we look like? What are the initiatives that you've taken on or implemented or coordinated or directed in order to make meaningful change for all of us? The second criterion is contribution to the total body of knowledge in hospital and health pharmacy practice in acute and ambulatory care settings. So in other words, this is really about publications. Uh, this can be a challenge uh, because I often find that I'm too busy doing the work to stop and write about it. Uh, and I don't personally like to write myself. This is probably my weakest area of all the different criteria. So I rely on the literature to learn. I'm sure many of our listeners do as well, but I need to be contributing to the literature and, and see this as a professional obligation. Uh, this last year with COVID, I think a lot of people have had a little bit of extra time at home and maybe a little bit of extra time to write. So it really is creating focused time to write about what you're doing. The third criterion is involvement in and a commitment to educating practitioners and others. And this really includes all aspects of education. This is as something like precepting students and residents, but it is also educating others, other pharmacists, other healthcare professionals through meeting presentations, through podcasts such as this, through webinars, um, all types of mixed media, mentoring others, technicians, other pharmacy staff, all of this stuff, doing interviews, as long as you're continuing to educate others in some format and it's been sustained for more than 10 years, then you are meeting this criterion. And then the final criterion is demonstration of active involvement and leadership in ASHP. This does include work within our state affiliates, but for FASHP criteria, this is fellow recognition for the national organization. So it's not enough to just be engaged at the state level or at the local level. There does need to be a significant contribution over a sustained period of time to ASHP itself as an organization and as a leader. So some examples of that include serving as a delegate for your state affiliate in the ASHP House of Delegates. Uh, it could be section executive committee work. It could be work on ASHP councils or ASHP committees or task forces. And some of that work may be a larger commitment 
but really it has to be service to ASHP. And then last but not least, you do have to submit three letters of recommendation from colleagues. So this forces you to think, do you have an ongoing professional relationship with at least three people who you respect who would be able to write specifically about your achievements? Because if not, it's time to think about who could serve in that role and how you connect with them. And it's not enough to have three people you work directly with in your own institution. It really needs to be colleagues that are across the country or across your geographic area in different practice locations that know you from different points in your career that can speak really well to how you educate others or how you are as a practice uh, model for the profession, how you've served ASHP. So these are all the areas that really set the, the curriculum, uh, not just for ASHP fellow recognition, but really just to guide your own career for, for ongoing growth. Thank you for sharing that, Amber. Lots of great information to think about, especially from the perspective of those different criteria that you described. One item I've noticed that's been used throughout the conversation today has been the term purposeful. Can you go into a little bit more detail about the importance of purposeful career growth? Absolutely, Michael. I strongly believe that everything that we do should be tied to a larger purpose. I'm grateful that there's been so much talk about fatigue and burnout and resilience over the past several years. And I think it's the most important issue we face because we need to bring our best selves to work if we're going to make a difference for our patients. And if our work is so taxing that we can barely get through the day, then our life outside of work is going to be affected negatively as well. And the downward spiral, spiral will just continue. And so for me, purposeful living is the best protection against burnout because even the worst of conditions can be meaningful to me if I'm able to keep my eyes on the larger purpose. I like how David Zills describes it. He calls it an integrated and fulfilled life. And I think that that's what we all are striving for. And then below the big picture purpose, it's also helpful to have smaller goals that you're chasing that can make your daily efforts meaningful. So in this case, I set the goal that I wanted to become a fellow of ASHP. And once I set that goal, and once I started working through the criteria, it brought meaning to every activity that I was doing already. I was able to fit my professional activities into that larger story. And it helped me to say no to opportunities that wouldn't support those goals. It's also very gratifying to see your list of achievements as those achievements grow and as you accumulate more of them inside of each criteria. It's a good reminder that the hard work we're doing is never wasted. It's always building me up to be a stronger leader, a more disciplined person, and ultimately a better applicant for the FASHP program. So even if I never achieve FASHP recognition, I can say that the criteria has helped me to become a better pharmacy leader. So no matter where you are in your career, you can use a CPD plan to bring meaning and purpose to your daily activities. It's a reminder that you're not only achieving the daily work, but you're also building towards long-term, larger goals. 
for me, the FASHP criteria was the perfect curriculum to help me keep that purpose in mind. Wow, that is a lot of really good information and a lot to think and reflect on as you all have been talking through a lot of the discussion today. Unfortunately, that's all that we have time for. I want to give a huge thank you to Nathan Hansen and Amber Lucas for joining us to discuss their reflections and give advice on career growth, CPD, and FASHP. Thank you, Michael and Nathan. It was really rewarding to be part of this podcast. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thank you. I agree. This was really fun. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.